1: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults from latest research
0: updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten
1: and this is Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? I'm doing well. How about you doing? Well, also, it feels like it's been a long time since we read our intro. So good to be back with a new episode. It is. And we're welcoming
0: Lindsay Sandbeck with us today, a physical therapist. She got her Doctors of Physical Therapy in 2014 from the University of North Dakota. Following graduation, she completed an orthopedic residency at Sanford Health and then became a certified orthopedic specialist. She's been practicing at Sanford in orthopedics for the last seven years. Um, Fun fact about Lindsay is that she married her high school sweetheart and they have a daughter who's three years old named Bree. Yes,
1: Yes, so we're excited to have Lindsay today. She's an... Excellent physical therapist and we're going to focus our conversation today on shoulders. We had a few questions from readers. Um, The questions kind of were around shoulder surgery and recovery from shoulder surgery. And so we'll talk with Lindsay about some common shoulder pathology, um, how she can help or how another, another physical therapist can help and then talk about surgery and recovery. Sure. We're just happy to have Lindsay with
0: us today, who I know from uh, working in the Balance and Stability Clinic. So thank you for agreeing to do this. If you just give a little couple liner about yourself.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be here talking about shoulder injuries, and hopefully I can answer some questions for your listeners when it comes to shoulders and uh, what PT looks like for that. Um, I... Completed my training at the University of North Dakota in 2014 and then did a year-long residency at Sanford following in the area of just orthopedics. So I got to learn a lot more in that time period and worked with different providers both um, in orthopedics and um, watching surgeries and hanging out in the clinics, so I could learn more um, to help my patients. And so I'm excited to bring some of that information here today.
1: That's great, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. So let's you mentioned that we're going to talk about shoulders today. Let's just start off a little more general. and um, you know when patients when patients get referred to physical therapy, can you just kind of give an overview of what to expect for those who haven't been to therapy before and maybe um, then focus in on what to expect for specifically a shoulder injury or complaint of shoulder pain?
2: Sure, yeah, that first day is really all about getting a background of what is going on with that patient. So, we spend the first part of our initial evaluation really just talking. Um, when did the pain start, did they notice it was cer- with certain activities, um, what makes it better, what makes it worse, really truly getting a background of um, what is causing difficulty for them. and what are their goals for physical therapy? What do they want to get back to being able to do? Um, What is it that they can't do anymore that brought them typically into our office? Um, And so that way we can uh, form a plan for that. And so when a patient comes in with a shoulder, oftentimes they start to notice that, gosh, I just can't lift my arm um, as well anymore. I'm just not as strong. I used to be able to do these things and now I can't do them. Um, I can't reach into the cupboard to pull out my plates for supper. Um, I can't lift my grandkids anymore. Things like that, um, that they start to go, okay, it's probably time to do something or it's waking them up at night. Um, So like I said, we, we just start with um, the overall, how bad is their pain? What does it get up to at its worst? Um, when is that typically? Is that in the morning? Is that in the evening? Um, is that with a certain activity? Um, what does it get down to? Are there certain things that do that does make the pain feel better? Um, things they've tried on their own or things maybe that they've talked with their doctor about certain medications that have helped Um, And then after we have that conversation, then we get into the actual examination part of our evaluation. Um, So we'll have the patient go through their range of motion um, and just watching how they move. Sometimes they can move it, but they maybe just can't move it as well through that range of motion and that gives us some information. Um, We'll look at their strength. That's oftentimes a complaint for patients. They just feel like they can't lift things the way they could um, before and then we'll feel around on some of those different structures. That can tell us a lot. If certain areas are really tender, um, that can tell us more of what's going on. And then we'll put them through a series of what we call special tests. So um, really looking for Is that the pain that you have when you do the activity? Um, Sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable anyway, just moving through some of those motions, but really what are the ones that you go, yeah, that's the pain that I get when I'm trying to do a certain activity. Um, And that gives us a lot more information. And then we have a discussion of what we feel is going on. So based on what they were telling us as far as their day-to-day things that are difficult, and then what we found when we were going through our evaluation, um, what are some different things that can be helpful for them. Um, and we always like to try to get patients started with something that they can do at home um, to help relieve some of their discomfort, and then things that we can do in the PT clinic um, and talk about their, their different options moving forward. And what
0: are some of those things um, that you can offer in the, the PT department
2: so we have a variety I think everybody initially thinks about exercise Um, if their doctor says all right I'm sending you to physical therapy um, we oftentimes get "Oh man they're gonna make me just do exercise and uh, exercise is a big part of what we do uh, but specific exercises for the patient is probably the number one thing that we are going through Um, so finding different ways to do things that's the beauty of it is there's lots of different ways to work a muscle and so finding things that the patient can do comfortably. Um, it may be just modifying what they're doing, and so having them show us what they're doing and trying to tweak it a little bit so that it's more comfortable. Besides the exercise, um, then also we do a lot of manual therapy. So, different soft tissue techniques to help those muscles relax. Um, sometimes those muscles are too tight, and sometimes they're too weak. So, um, that manual therapy can help uh, relieve some of those really tight muscles. Um, We also have uh, what we call mobilizations in manual therapy, so working the actual joint. Um, If a patient has a really stiff shoulder, mobilizations can be helpful to get that shoulder moving better. And then there's also modalities that go in combination with the exercise and the manual therapy, and those can help more with pain control. Oftentimes there are things that help more in the short term, Um, things like ultrasound, which is more of a deep heat, Um, e stim which um, uses more electrodes on the skin to help beat those pain signals, Um, and just different relaxation techniques. Oftentimes, it tends to be a combination. There's rarely something that we see that we say, okay, this is only going to be exercise or this is only going to be manual therapy. Um, it tends to be a combination of, of everything.
0: I know I get a lot of questions about ever since, oh, which Olympics was it um, where we saw all the cupping yes. marks. <laughs> um, so I get a lot of questions all the time about
2: cupping. What, what do you say about that kind of modality? Right. And you know, it's one of those things there's not as much research on. And so it's hard to say if it helps one way more than the other. It was kind of like when kinesio tape um, came to be with with the Olympics as well. Uh, We don't have anyone specifically here at our clinic that does cupping. um, But I've had some patients that have had it done other places and they find it to be helpful. Um, The idea behind it is to increase that blood flow. And a lot of the different manual therapy type things like soft tissue work. Um, We also do a treatment called ASTIM, which uses some tools to be able to increase that blood flow. Um, Our muscles and our tendons really like that blood flow, so anything to get that blood flow um, typically uh, going can be helpful. Uh, There's just not a lot out there on how much it, it helps. And what about things
0: like those Thera guns? and do you have any thoughts on those things? I have not actually
2: personally used one, but um, I see them all over the place, um, especially it seemed like at uh, Christmas time they were popping up on, uh, on every Facebook ad and right. all sorts of different types of them. Um, again, I've had some patients that find them really helpful. It's just another way to be able for patients to do some self-soft tissue work. You know, we teach patients how to use a tennis ball. Ball or um, a little handball to be able to work out some of those trigger points and so um, it could be helpful for Sim, Um certainly talking to your therapist about how to best use it um, and not getting too aggressive with it that can uh, sometimes increase the pain a little bit so um, being more more careful with how you're using it and consult your doctor or your pt about how to use it
1: i think another thing that i've seen come up lately is infrared heat so like infrared saunas, infrared mats that you can lie on. Um, I would imagine those are comparable to ultrasound, but do you know, is there a lot of research on those or do we know much about how those are in terms of benefit?
2: You know, I don't know as much about those. In fact, in school they used to teach, we would do some infrared um, treatments, but they don't actually teach it anymore in physical therapy school because of the lack of data surrounding the benefits of them. So um, it's not something that I've seen many of my patients use at this point um, and not something that we use in the clinic. So not something that I, I see a lot of
0: Why don't we, I know we threw some surprise questions in there. Um, (laughs) What are some of the most common diagnoses of the shoulder that you see um, in the PT clinic?
2: Yeah, so I'll kind of talk through um, the most common one that we tend to see is impingement. And that's oftentimes the diagnosis that we'll see when a patient comes in um, is shoulder impingement. And um, then I'll kind of talk about the non-operative and then some of the operative things for that impingement. Um, So impingement in the shoulder basically means that there's a pinching of some of the structures. So when we think about our shoulder joint, it's a ball and socket joint. That ball has to move in that socket nicely for us to not have shoulder pain. Um, Some people like to liken it to a golf ball and a tee, um, trying to balance that. And so our muscles help to do that, our ligaments help to do that, and they all need to work together for that to work effectively. Um, and part of that, people will hear about the rotator cuff quite a bit. Um, and so that rotator cuff is made up of four different tendons that help to stabilize that shoulder. So when the rotator cuff is working properly, um, our shoulder works pretty well. Um, it can keep that, uh, ball from moving too high up in that socket. Um, then next to that ball and socket joint, there's this space and in that space, um, there are quite a few structures And that space is not very big to begin with. So they say it's only about one to one and a half centimeters. They call it the subacromial space. Um, And in that subacromial space, you've got your bursa, you've got some rotator cuff tendons, some ligaments. um, And so there's a little bit of room for air in there. And um, what we see is when something isn't working correctly or there's too much inflammation in some of those structures, we get this impingement. And so that might be the bursa is inflamed. Um, and so now there's less space in there for the other things to move around like they should. Um, the patient's posture can play a role into that impingement. So they might be really slouched forward. Um, everything's in front of us nowadays. And so we tend to be in this slouched forward posture, um, which our shoulder joint does not, uh, not like as much. And so uh, that can lead to a little bit more impingement. And then, like I said, that rotator cuff is the one that we hear um, probably the most in some of the issues with impingement. Um, That rotator cuff can have wear and tear over time. Um, And so it doesn't work as well. So there's more contact with some of the bony surfaces and you get some of these little micro tears and they start to heal up, but over time they don't heal up quite as nicely. And that shoulder just doesn't work quite as well and you get a little bit more um, pinching through that joint. And we classified it in two different ones. Primary impingement means there's something, some structure in there that's getting pinched, but we also see um, kind of a secondary impingement. If people have weakness um, of their shoulder and shoulder blades, um, their body just isn't keeping that alignment as well because of some of the weakness in those muscles. And so depending on which one is causing the impingement, the test that we go through will help us to differentiate between those two types of impingement. So I always like to tell patients your impingement is secondary to something going on and trying to figure out what is that that's going on. Um, And so we do that by going through that evaluation I was talking about and seeing which tests really seem to bother. And that will point us more towards which structure is the issue. And then based on that, we'll determine what kind of treatment we do with the patient um, moving forward. So a lot of times patients come in and they say, gosh, you know, when I lift my arm up, it is painful, especially mid range. When I get to about shoulder level, um, I really can't go much farther or it really hurts when I try to go farther. Um, so reaching overhead is difficult and, um, they stop doing some of those activities, and then they may start to get uh, get a little tight, or they start to say, "Well, I start using my other shoulder now for all those overhead activities." Um, so, treatments again, we tend to do a little bit more of a combination of things for impingement. Um, if there are some tight structures, you know, so if they have posture that's causing some of that impingement, they might have really tight front chest muscles. So, we need to stretch those muscles out first and restore that posture. That may help um, with their impingement. Um, we may need to strengthen up that rotator cuff if it's weak um, so that it does its job to stabilize that shoulder so we can lift that arm up without getting that pinching. Uh, We may need to do some of those modality type things to help bring that pain down so they can tolerate um, a little bit more of that exercise and then certainly getting them some specific type things that they can work on at home for that as well. Um, And it tends to be more of a conservative type management so Typically talking with their doctor about what types of over-the-counter medications they can take to try to help with some of that, depending on the cause of it, Um, and then along with coming to PT, typically imaging isn't as helpful for impingement diagnoses, Um, it just doesn't show us as much as it does for some of the other pathologies. And the other thing we hear about patients, well, do I need an injection in my shoulder Um, when it comes to impingement? And um, they try to avoid those injections in the shoulder uh, because it can um, later on lead to possibly weakness in the tendon. There's some conflicting evidence um, as to how helpful they are. The one time that they seem to be a little bit more helpful is if they have a true bursitis, that bursa is inflamed, um, then it can be helpful for those patients with impingement. Um, So some of those, if they're not getting better with therapy, we will send them back over to orthopedics and have them evaluated. Um, and they can do a guided injection, which is nice. So they're making sure that it's getting to the spot that they want want it to be.
1: And Lindsay, what kind of um, improvement do you usually expect with like some, something like impingement? Do you usually see people getting back to 100% of their previous activity and range of motion? Or what, what's your normal that you would expect to see?
2: Yeah, and it really, I know people don't like the answer, it depends, Um, (laughs) but it depends on some different factors. So they have found, though, through research that conservative management of impingement, 70 to 90% of people got back to their baseline prior to where they were um, or after their therapy. And they really encouraged people, especially if they were over the age of 50, Give it more time. And so that four to six weeks on average is what we will see somebody in the clinic for. Um, and that may be twice a week, once a week, um, depending on the patient. You know, if they're very limited in their range of motion to begin with and we need to spend a little bit more time working on that, um, it may be a little bit longer. If they have good range of motion, um, but it's just painful motion, um, we can advance those exercises a little bit quicker. And there's more things that they can do at home and then they're checking in with us more so to be able to advance those exercises. And so it is a little bit different. Some patients, you see them for three visits, and they're feeling so much better. And other patients, you may see them for six weeks um, before they're starting to feel better. But with impingement, people do do well with that conservative treatment. I think I have to encourage often, do you
0: do the exercises at home that you were given? Because they kind of sometimes forget that part. Um, and expect to get better without doing the work that they're given
2: for homework. Right, yes. And that is probably the one thing in, in our job that is the hardest, is how do you encourage somebody and convince them um, to complete their exercises? Because we certainly see when patients are consistent, they do much, much better. And I think that is one of the things that's kind of fun, is finding different ways that you can uh, get a patient to really like doing some of their exercises so finding different things that they say oh yeah I, I don't mind doing this one Um, they're definitely more apt to continue doing their exercises if they find it um, a little bit more enjoyable and we like to switch it up too so they don't feel like they're doing the same exercises over and over because that gets to be a little boring for any of us right that's a
1: great overview of impingement what about when there's enough wear and tear on the rotator cuff that you actually see a tear? You know, we know as physicians, a lot of times patients want to jump right to surgery. They know there's a tear, they want to do surgery. How, how would you think about that in terms of starting with therapy versus going right to surgery and when is surgery indicated?
2: Yeah and definitely and patients will come in saying that in our office sometimes too you know well why don't I just have surgery right away? Um, It's not always the quick fix um, when it comes to that shoulder pain and so they look at a few different factors in terms of who um, should have surgery sooner than who should try the conservative route first and if they're not successful then go ahead and proceed with that surgery. So we typically see those that do respond better to surgery right away are those that had some sort of trauma you know they fell down and all of a sudden had this intense shoulder pain they tend to be those that are um, under the age of 40 um, that do better with surgery initially and then um, typically if that tear is what we consider more of a full thickness tear meaning that tear is complete then they do want to get them in a little bit sooner because if they wait too long that tendon can start to retract and it's harder for the surgeon to then reattach that tendon um, and their outcomes are not as good if they wait too long in those instances. For the patients that don't need surgery initially that may respond better to some of the conservative treatment are those that have more of a partial thickness tear. Um, they've maybe had it for quite a while. You know, their shoulder has been bugging them for the last year, um, and over time they feel like it's gotten a little bit worse, uh, but they're still able to do what they want to do for the most part, but they're just starting to have trouble with it. Those are the patients that, uh, we work with in the clinic for a longer period of time to see if they can get their function restored, because there's four tendons. And so if you have a small tear of one of them, um, you still can have a good functioning shoulder without having to go through surgery. It depends on their goals too. What do they want to be able to get back to doing? They'll also consider the quality of maybe the patient's tissues. What are the other comorbidities that the patient has? Um, They have found those Um, patients that don't respond quite as well are the ones that may have some delayed healing going on. So if they are a smoker, if they're diabetic, um, if their tissues are just a little bit more on the fatty side, um, they may not respond quite as well to the surgical approach and so they will have them complete more conservative treatment um, instead. And so we really work with patients on trying to get the other structures that are still functioning really well, um, working well for them. And so working on a combination again of some of the stretching and the strengthening um, specifically for that rotator cuff. Um, They found that 25% of people over the age of 60 um, and about 50% of the people over 80 have a full thickness tear and some people don't necessarily realize Um, and it's even higher in those that have partial thickness tears. Um, I went to a continuing education course one time and the instructor had had a partial thickness tear for years um, and had never had any issues with it. She does her exercises and is able to manage her pain without having to go through surgery. Um, But if the patient isn't progressing through physical therapy um, like we would like to see then we will send them over to orthopedics and at that point they tend to do an MRI and see what's going on in that shoulder a little bit more and and then oftentimes the surgeon will have that conversation with the patient if they feel like they would be a good surgical candidate moving forward. So Lindsay
1: we had some questions from listeners about you know what to expect a few a few um Individuals actually recently had rotator cuff surgery and had a few questions about, you know, how does one prepare for that surgery? Uh, What, you know, what to expect after surgery in terms of treatment? Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, certainly. So that's probably the number one thing when people come in after they've had their rotator cuff repair. They always say, Gosh, I didn't realize that the recovery was going to be this long um, and that I would be wearing this sling for this long. And had I known, this is what I would have done. And so I actually asked a few of my rotator cuff repair patients if someone would have given you advice beforehand, what were the things that you found to be the most helpful when you were first recovering from surgery? and the things that we typically go through with patients if we're seeing them in our clinic um, before they have surgery so if they um, ended up not progressing like we wanted to and they needed to have surgery um, we talk to them about some of the different exercises that they'll be performing after surgery and which is not a lot Um, the first part of rotator cuff surgery is a lot of Protection, um, And so we go through a few of the exercises with them that they can do. Um, tell them to uh, find your favorite zip up or button up shirts because they will be your best friend for the first um, at least six weeks while you're in the sling. Um, pillows, extra pillows. Um, Typically people find sleeping in a recliner is more comfortable for the first at least week or so after surgery um, because that sling has that beautiful pillow in there to keep that healing going but it is a little cumbersome and so having a pillow to help support that arm um, can feel better too. Um, And then once they feel comfortable sleeping in bed those pillows come in handy just to help prop them up a little bit to find a comfortable position to sleep. Um, and a good book and a good movie or something to pass the time because it's a lot of waiting the first six weeks um, of of your of your recovery.
1: And how long can they expect to be in a sling?
2: So typically they the protocol goes based on if you had a small tear or a large tear. So if you had a small tear, um, typically it's about that six weeks still. Um, they'll let you start to take out that pillow, that abduction pillow at about four weeks. So you get a little bit more freedom at four weeks. And then if you had a large tear, meaning that it was over about five centimeters, um, big, or you had quite a few tendons that were involved in the tear, um, then they keep you in that sling just a little bit longer to allow that healing typically a little bit closer to that eight week mark and each surgeon has their own preference in terms of how long but typically about that six to eight weeks sure
1: and for for that patient who really is hoping to make a quick recovery and looking to do everything they can to um, expedite that recovery and that return of function can they push things after surgery or is that not a good idea
2: It's not a good idea in the first part of of your recovery. So the recovery is really staged um, to allow for that tissue healing. So the first six weeks um, you'll basically be in the sling for 24-7 with the exception of being able to do some elbow, wrist, and hand type exercises. Um, We don't want your elbow getting stiff because it's in that sling, so they will allow you to take your arm out to do some elbow, wrist, and hand type um, exercises. Um, but otherwise, um, you want to keep that on. There was a study that found those that didn't adhere to the precautions had a much higher re risk in that first six weeks than those that followed the precautions. And the first day of therapy, we really spent a lot of time talking about those precautions. Um, it's kind of a whirlwind right after surgery, and you're oftentimes taking pain medications, and it's like, well, what did they say about this? And can I do this? Um, so that first visit, because there's not a lot we can do right away, way in therapy, we spend a lot of time talking about those precautions and different ways that they can do things at home to be a little bit more comfortable um, because they really don't want them doing any movement lifting pushing pulling um, for that first six weeks they will come into physical therapy during that six weeks Um, typically about a week after surgery they'll come in to see us and um, we can help with pain control and then we will also do what we call passive range of motion where the patient relaxes their arm and we move that shoulder through the range of motion because we still want to keep it moving so it doesn't get too stiff but we don't want the patient doing the moving um, because it just uses that tendon too much Um, and then it's a gradual progression forward and that's where it's really important to keep up with your physical therapy because certain time frames you'll be able to do more so at about If you had a small tear at about four weeks, you're able to start doing what we call active assistive range of motion. So using something to help move your arm, whether that's um, a pulley or a dowel, um, using a sheet on a table, uh, different ways to get that arm moving where your muscles are helping a little bit but not too much. Um, and then we continue on with the stretching and moving of your shoulder too um, during that time frame. For a large tear, it's just a little bit longer, typically about two weeks later that we start that active assistive range of motion. And then after you complete that active assistive, then you start to get into active range of motion. So now oftentimes patients are, you know, eight weeks out of surgery before they get to actually lift their arm on their own. Um, and again, we start that leg down um, and then progress into standing. And so definitely it's, it's that first Phase can be kind of frustrating because you're anxious to get back and and moving that shoulder and being able to do more, especially if it's your um, dominant side that you're used to using. Allow others to help you during that time, um, so that you don't set yourself back and have to uh, go back in to have have another repair. And then the final stretch of that, once you get that shoulder moving and you've got your range of motion is coming back um, and you're able to lift that arm on your own through your motion, then. We are able to start some strengthening, but that's typically not till about twelve weeks or three months after surgery before we can start adding any sort of weight, um, whether that's a dumbbell or a resistance band type exercise.
1: So it sounds like a process that takes a lot of patience. Yes, um, and like you kind of mentioned, the the biggest risk or the the reason why things have to go so slowly is that risk of a re Is that right? Correct. Okay.
2: Yes, yep, and though you know, for each patient's a little bit different too in terms of, you know, the surgeon can see the quality of that tendon when they are doing that repair, and so they may have us take it a little bit slower for some, and for others we may be able to move a little bit quicker. Um, but the body only heals so fast too, so we have to respect that body's healing process as well.
1: You mentioned, you know, one, one issue that can happen, Um, after surgeries, things can get a little stiff. If the movement isn't happening at all, that could maybe um, lead us into talking a little bit about adhesive capsulitis, which would be a more extreme uh, scenario. But do you want to talk a bit about that?
2: Yeah. So adhesive capsulitis is another one of those conditions that They don't really know why it happens besides those that happen after a patient has been immobilized um, for too long. Um, That shoulder can get stiff following that. But for other patients, they just slowly notice that their shoulder is becoming stiff. Um, The capsule in this type of diagnosis is um, what causes the pain. So the capsule starts to become stiff, inflamed, becomes a little thicker, and it goes through stages. And so the first stage is zero to three months. Um, it's kind of this pre-freezing stage. Typically, patients just start to notice, gosh, my arm feels a little a little sore when I try to do some of these motions, but it typically comes and goes, it's not too bad. Um, And then the second stage is when they start to get a little bit more of the actual freezing of the shoulder. And that can last anywhere from three to nine months. And that limitation in range of motion is really what they start to notice along with the pain. So that's typically when they will go in and see their provider um, or come in and see us and say, gosh, my shoulder really hurts and I really can't move it very well anymore. Um, And there's certain positions that get tighter faster, and that's normally what indicates to us that it's probably more likely um, a frozen shoulder versus something else. And so in those stages, um, we have to work a little bit slower and more gentle in that freezing stage. Um, It's not the time to get real aggressive with our stretching or our mobilizing because the shoulder um, will just get more inflamed and more irritated and actually get tighter. Um, And so it's normally a exercise program that we can send home with patients for a period of time because the process is very slow in terms of improvement. And so we'll give them some stretches to work on for a few weeks and say, okay, once these start to get easy or you're noticing you can do more, um, you know, let us know and we can switch them up. Um, A lot of gentle stretching in that that time frame, And we can do a little bit of gentle mobilization too, um, working that joint through some different techniques, but we're not getting very aggressive with it at that point. Um, And then they'll enter stage three which is more of the frozen stage. Um, In this stage that decrease in pain starts to happen so they notice they're not quite as painful um, but they are very limited in their range of motion. There's not a lot that they feel like they can do um, in that and it's different for everybody as far as the severity of that lack of motion. Um, But it's a lot of the, I can't wash my hair now, or I can't reach behind my back to tuck in my shirt. Um, I can't reach into that cupboard for that time period. So they get very good at using their, their other side to do some of those activities. And then finally in that stage four, um, which can be 15 to 24 months, um, and we get the thawing of the shoulder. um, And so the pain's getting better. They're starting to notice that range of motion is getting better. And during those stages, especially sometimes even in that frozen stage, if they're not having a lot of pain, that's when we can start to be a little bit more aggressive in in our therapy too. So we can start to do more of those aggressive in-range mobilizations and getting that that range of motion restored and pushing that stretching just a little bit. Um, But everybody's body is different, so we base our progression on how they responded to the last treatment, Um, and so it can look very different for each person as far as how fast they move. and it seems like it's a time thing. Um, Nobody likes to hear that this may take two years to get better, Um, and so that's sometimes hard to hear that first day, um, but reassuring that they're not doing something wrong um, when it isn't getting better fast.
1: Yeah. And I think even hopefully just knowing that it usually does get better will be enough to help people stay motivated and continue to work through it. Yes, definitely. So, so with this, is there any quick fix for adhesive capsulitis and injection, anything else that will quickly move that process along or not so much?
2: Um, Not as much. There was one study that came out that found having an injection um, in kind of that pre-freezing stage where they're very painful um, was helpful in the short term. So patients that had an injection did better, but by about six months after... The people that had the injection, the people that didn't have the injection, ended up about the same place. Um, So for some patients, you know, they opt to go through it just so they can tolerate things a little bit more. And others are like, well, if it's gonna be the same in six months, I'll just I'll be diligent with my stretching and and work with my doctor on some of my pain control and and go from there.
1: Do you do you ever recommend any topical treatments? So we're doing a lot more things like even just biofreeze or topical anti-inflammatories for the shoulder. And do do you see any benefit in patients with those treatments?
2: Yeah. Yep. Some patients will swear by certain ones more than others. Um it seems like it's a little bit of a personal preference, but there are a lot more over the counter options now um that they can apply. And so some my husband would say he swears by icy hot and I would say, No, I like biofreeze better. Um, and then some don't like the scent of icy hot and biofreeze, so they'll opt more for um is it the Asper cream with lidocaine where it doesn't have, have as much of the scent and so depending on their preference I always recommend patients either talk with their doctor or talk with their pharmacist too is another good resource of different over-the-counter products um, to see what would work best best for them.
1: Yeah so a long process no matter what the good news is it usually does improve so if people just kind of stick with it it's going to get better. Um, but can definitely be be frustrating in terms of activity and range of motion and things.
2: Yes, they can also use too, besides the um, topical things, they can use heat, can be helpful um, for helping with their stretching. So, af- you know, before they're going to do their stretching, try to apply a little bit of heat for 15, 20 minutes and do their stretching. Or um, oftentimes they'll take a nice warm shower and do some of their stretching while they're in the shower. Um, so those things can just make some of that a little bit more comfortable.
1: Why don't we kind of lead into osteoarthritis uh, you know certainly a common diagnosis and maybe you can talk a little about the difference between osteoarthritis and adhesive capsulitis um, just in terms of what's happening in the anatomy and then talk about how we treat that too.
2: Yeah so osteoarthritis we typically notice it's um, a little bit more of a gradual onset um, in terms of gradual pain, gradual loss of motion. Um, It moves a lot slower. They'll start to notice that there's certain, especially end range motions that they can't do that they once were able to do. Um, And with arthritis, it's not the capsule that's the issue. It's the actual joint that's the issue. So wear and tear over time, that cartilage in the shoulder joint will break down. Um, You get a little bit of this bony overgrowth and now there's less space of that joint to be able to move the shoulder and then that can become painful as we talked about there's lots of structures um, in that shoulder and when it's not working well together um, that can cause pain. Um, you know, genetics seems to have some sort of um, component. Um, it seems like, well, yep, yeah, my my grandma and my mom both had uh, had um, shoulder arthritis and both needed their shoulder replaced at some point in time. Um, we hear that quite a bit too, along with other arthritis of knees and hips. Um, if they had a previous injury, you know, maybe when they were young in a sport, they uh, they had a pretty big. Um, injury and that sometimes can lead to a little bit of arthritis um, later on. So biggest thing is just that decreased range of motion because the joint doesn't have as much much space. So they tend to feel really stiff too um, which they can also feel with that adhesive capsulitis certainly Um, but with the adhesive capsulitis it doesn't seem to really change as much to you know, with activity or with rest, um, where arthritis, you know, if they're stiff, but if they kind of get it moving, it feels better. Um, Except for if they do too much, then it doesn't feel as good either. Um, So finding that happy medium, but typically they'll find, yeah, if I do some stretching with it, my shoulder, my shoulder feels better. Um, And it's more of an aching kind of pain versus adhesive capsulitis. We tend to see more of a sharp pain, um, especially with motion. And so in therapy we talk a lot about you know we're not going to change the bony aspect of that shoulder um, but we can talk about some different modifications patients can do to be able to avoid some of the positions that really bother them if there's a better way of doing it Um, I talk a lot about um, the one request I get is I can't clasp my bra anymore how do I do that without bothering my shoulder Um, so flipping it around to the front hooking it in front and then turning it around um, just little modifications like that that can make that shoulder a lot Uh, happier and then we do a combination of some of the other treatments um, some of the manual therapy stretching joint mobilizations to try to get a little bit more of that range of motion back um, and then strengthening up the muscles surrounding that shoulder too so that they can work a little bit harder so the joint doesn't have to work as hard either Um, and again it's one of those things where we just progress as the patient tolerates and um, everybody's rehab is gonna look a little bit different with that based on how they tolerate um, each intervention.
1: So as a therapist, when do you decide that someone isn't responding to treatment and it's time to send them back to orthopedics?
2: Yeah, so if they're not getting better, if they've been in therapy for a good, you know, Couple months and they're still not getting better, or their pain is getting worse, and it's really starting to interfere with their functional limitations. Um, surgery tends to be the option when it's like I've tried everything and now. I'm stopping some of the activities I used to enjoy because of my pain then it's like okay if you've tried everything else and now you're not doing the things you enjoy and your quality of life is not the same it may be time to consult about surgery and there are two different surgery options for arthritis of the shoulder um, you can have a total shoulder done which For a total shoulder, you have to have a good rotator cuff. So you can't have a rotator cuff injury for good success um, with that uh, total shoulder. And so they replace the ball in the socket um, to allow you to move better. Your joint has more space now, um, and you can use those muscles. So the therapy afterwards actually looks Kind of similar to a rotator cuff repair. Um, it starts off with a little bit of that protective phase um, allowing those bones to heal. They do have to move one of the muscles in order to get in so we have to protect that muscle healing too. So there's not only bony healing but oftentimes that muscle healing too. So um, it's a little bit faster sometimes about four weeks that we do passive range of motion and then active assistive starting to move it with something and then active range of motion about six weeks strengthening happens just a little bit sooner at about that 10 week mark Um, but again they don't want them moving their arm by themselves for at least that about four weeks
1: also going to require a lot of patience when someone's having a
2: total shoulder replacement Yes, definitely. And they will get range of motion back after a total shoulder. You know, oftentimes patients before a total shoulder may not be able to lift much above shoulder height. And so for us, an outcome that we like to see is that they can get into that functional range of motion so they can reach up into a cupboard again. So trying to get at least about that 130 to 140 degrees of range of motion um, so that they can be functional again in their activities. Um, and then Again, just progressing that strengthening so they can get back to some of that, those activities, whether that might be you know golfing or things like that, all sorts of things they can get back to later on. but with patients typically takes quite a while to get back to some of those activities. And then you
1: said so there's the total replacement. What is the other option for osteoarthritis?
2: So the other option is a reverse total shoulder. so um, this is a bit newer compared to the total total shoulder, um, they were starting to see that patients that did not have a good rotator cuff weren't having as good of outcomes. And so they ended up deciding, well, let's reverse the total shoulder. So instead of the ball sitting on the socket, they reversed it. Now the ball sits where the socket was and vice versa. Um, And now instead of having to use that rotator cuff to lift the arm up because that main function of that rotator cuff is to help stabilize the shoulder so we can lift lift it through the range of motion in a reverse total shoulder you don't need that rotator cuff to work well Um, you can use the muscle on the outside of your shoulder called the deltoid Um, and so patients that initially wouldn't have been a candidate for a total shoulder um, because of their arthritis and the rotator cuff pathology now can undergo having that replacement um, and having good success with it afterwards. That sounds like it could be a bigger
1: surgery. Is it, are they comparable or is the reverse total harder to go through?
2: They're actually pretty similar in terms of their recovery. Um, They found that people about four months or so after surgery had about anywhere from that 80 to 120 degrees of range of motion, but kept gaining a little bit of range of motion as they moved forward. So it's actually pretty similar. Um, In some cases, we've seen some of those reverse total shoulders. Do really well, um, even sometimes compared to the total shoulders. um, I think because they didn't have much function in their shoulder before surgery. There are oftentimes we see with rotator cuff tear patients, they tend to shrug their shoulder as they try to lift their arm up because their shoulder doesn't work well. Um, And so all of a sudden now after surgery they can lift their arm up without doing as much of that shrugging, um, they're pretty excited about being able to get that arm up there.
1: Yeah, that would be pretty remarkable improvement for sure. Let's talk about arthroscopy for a minute. So this is a smaller procedure where surgeons use small incisions and a camera to go in and clean up within the joint. From your perspective, can you talk about when you see this being done?
2: We tend to see it more when they want to go in and they'll say, clean up the shoulder joint. And so we tend to see it more for those patients that were coming in for their impingement. And they went through conservative treatment, they've done all their exercises, they've maybe tried an injection into that bursa and they just haven't gotten any better. Um, You can have bony changes to one of the bones called the acromion that can start to become a little bit hooked. And so there just truly isn't as much space in that shoulder um, anymore. And so that's oftentimes when they'll go in and do more of that um, shoulder scope. So they might go and just some of those bony landmarks that maybe have a little too, too much on them. They'll go through and kind of shave those down a little bit. Um, and then also clean up any sort of scar tissue. You know, if they had a previous injury and they've got a lot of scar tissue in there, that's maybe causing pain, um, or that rotator cuff looks just a little bit, um, Worn over time, they can get rid of a little bit of that extra that doesn't need to be there, Um, and that can certainly help diminish a lot of patients' pain. Now they have more motion to be able for those structures to move in through there nicely. So we tend to see it more for those patients that have impingement and have had impingement for quite a while and have not succeeded with other treatment options.
1: Sure, and I would I would imagine that procedure has a little easier recovery than the others.
2: Yes, much easier. Um, typically they're only in a sling for the first 24 to maybe a little bit longer if the surgeon felt like he had to do something a little bit more, but typically they'll let them start to wean out of that sling after about 24 hours and just use it for comfort after that. Um, in terms of therapy, they'll oftentimes come for a few sessions to be able to restore some of that range of motion, um, be able to advance their exercise. So we're not seeing them as often as we would be seeing somebody with a rotator cuff repairer total shoulder or reverse total shoulder. Um, it's more just to help them progress through, through their um, rehab, especially if they weren't able to use their shoulder well beforehand. They may need to just relearn a few things and uh, strengthen up a few select muscles to be able to use that shoulder. Uh, for things they want to do.
1: You talked a little bit about injections before and kind of mentioned steroid injections and why we might want to be cautious with those in terms of not causing injury to the tendon over time. Are you? Do you work with patients who are getting other injections and do you see benefit from non-steroid injections?
2: You know, I haven't seen too many used in the shoulder at this point. Um, they're starting to do more research in the shoulder. Um, and so I haven't had too many yet, though, that have come through. Um, it seems like the ones that they're still doing are more of those steroid injections, um. But we're not seeing as many of those either now, um, compared to um, even just a few years ago. Um, they're they're definitely prescribing more um, conservative treatment first before going down that route. Um, but they're starting to do more research on some of those other injections, which is exciting to see. Um, If we can use the body to be able to help restore, especially with the rotator cuff, it would be cool um, to be able to have that more readily available. Um, We've seen it more for some knee patients. Um, Unfortunately, it's still an out-of-pocket expense and insurance doesn't cover them. Um, And that's probably why we're not seeing them as much in the shoulder at this point either. Um, But I think it'll be something that's exciting um, that should hopefully be, be coming for our shoulder patients, too.
1: Maybe another episode in the future sometime when we have a little more data, a little more information, we can talk about those. Definitely. Well, I have a few more questions for you, but before we get to those, anything else that you wanted to add or let let people know
2: about? You know, the thing when it comes to physical therapy, I think just find a therapist that you feel comfortable working with and is certainly tailoring your exercise program or your rehab to you um, and what you wanna be able to do, I found for patients They definitely are more excited to come back when they know, okay, I'm doing this so I can pick up my grandchild again. Or I'm doing this so I can go back on the golf course. Um, Having that goal of something that they enjoy versus just, oh, I want you to lift your arm this high. For them, it's like, well, great, for what? Um, But if it means they can go back and do some of those things, that's what we get excited about too. So, and give it time. I think, you know, we all, we live in a world where everything is so... um, instant you know if we want something we click add to cart and it's at our doorstep in two days Um, but when it comes to physical therapy um, it definitely takes time so I tell my patients hang with me for a good four to six weeks Um, we'll find different things for you to make you more comfortable and if I can't I'll help you find somebody who can.
1: Yeah and I think that's a really good point I think um, maybe you can expound on that a little bit more in terms of therapy really does shorten recovery time. It's just that it's, a, it's an active recovery. It requires energy and input to make it happen, but definitely has better outcomes than not doing therapy or the alternative. Do you wanna talk about that a little bit?
2: Right, definitely. Yeah, and like like Dr. Dahl said, too, trying to get patients to do those exercises sometimes can be challenging. And I think, too, if the patient understands, well, why am I doing this exercise? Um, what is this going to help me be able to do? Um, it certainly, certainly helps. But oftentimes we'll see patients that come in and they've had maybe shoulder pain or any other pain for that matter for a long time thinking, well, it'll it'll get better, it'll get better. Um, and they put it off and put it off. And then now all of a sudden they've had pain for a long time and it takes a little bit longer than for them to get better. Um, versus if they notice some of these things, if they start coming a little bit sooner, um, they're they should be able to get back to some of those activities a little bit sooner um and so but it's it's not easy either certainly going through and taking the time um to do those exercises and to make appointments and come in because you are coming in a little bit more frequently um to physical therapy which sometimes can be challenging for patients to try to coordinate that as well um But you're also figuring out different things of, okay, if I stop doing this, this will help my recovery go faster versus continuing to push through the pain. And um, how much muscle soreness should I have after exercise? Is this normal to have this amount of soreness? We spend a lot of time talking about what is good pain and what is not. Um, What types of things are we okay with them pushing through and what are things that we're not okay with them pushing through? Knowing that difference can certainly allow you to heal up faster
1: yeah I think that's a common question that I get too. you know people go to therapy and say well I I hurt more after therapy than before so it must not be helping or it's maybe doing I'm worried that it's doing more harm than good can you talk about distinguishing distinguishing between that good pain or that okay pain and bad pain
2: yes definitely so when we exercise, um, we are in essentially kind of breaking down the muscle to build it back up. So we expect muscle soreness, but that muscle soreness should only last for a day or two after. We can get where you do a workout on a Monday and you're like, oh, okay, that... Wasn't too sore after that. And then you wake up the next day and you go, oh my goodness, well, now I am really sore. And that's oftentimes where they're like, yeah, I think this is making it worse instead of better. And it's like, okay, give it another day or so and see how you feel. Um, Oh, well, actually, I did feel better when I gave it a couple more days. It was just more the muscle that was sore. Um, So being able to distinguish that from the pain. You know, we say, okay, I don't want you to have the pain that you're feeling. Is not what I want you to feel when you do this exercise. Um, it should feel different than the pain you came in for, um, and should not be lasting too long after completing those activities. And you know it is tough that first day we go through that evaluation, and in a sense we're trying to reproduce that pain so we can figure out where it's coming from. And so if patients only come that first visit, they're thinking, "Oh my goodness, I went in and now my shoulder hurts more than when when I first went in." And so we try to also educate patients on why that is, um, and then give them some different things that should help bring that pain back down. And then by the you know second third session, now things are starting to feel a little bit better and and if it's not switching gears a little bit that's the nice thing we have lots of different tools in our tool bag to be able to go through and say okay this isn't working for you we might just need to step back and start a little bit maybe with some of those modalities let's calm things down a little bit more before we progress um, and do that combination of treatment too. I
1: think that's that's good advice and good for people to hear because I, I would say that's one of the most common concerns I get about feedback, and and I would say, you know, on the other side, the patients who do stick with it and do the home exercises get huge benefit from it and are always willing to go back when they need to because they get such great benefit.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, fun when we can see somebody we've seen in the past, and they come in, and they're like, well, my knee feels great now, but gosh, I've had this shoulder thing going on and I decided I better come in sooner and learn what I should and shouldn't be doing and um, start to do a few more things. And so it's nice when, when patients can start to recognize that a little bit, a little bit too.
1: Absolutely. Good, good advice for patients, you know, come in earlier, figure it out, you know, hopefully get on a treatment plan soon and prevent things from getting worse.
2: Yeah, and our ultimate goal is we want them to feel like they have the tools to be able to stay better, too. So, um, physical therapy is not one of those things that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Um, Our job is to teach you how to continue to take care of of your joints and your muscles. Um, and so by the end, you should feel like, okay, if I start to notice a little bit of that twinge, what are some of the things that I can try um, to be able and what are things that I can do to help prevent this from coming back too? so that's always the ultimate goal is get patients back to what they want to do and um, allow them to feel like they know what they need to do when they leave um, that last day um, out of our office. And, and then we're also a good in between for if it's not getting better, we can help facilitate the next step. If, if it needs to go on to the next step, then, um, we certainly can help facilitate that. Um, since we get to spend a lot of time with the patient throughout, throughout their therapy, we can certainly help facilitate that as well.
1: That's great. Yeah. We, we definitely appreciate the work that you and your colleagues are doing and, um, acknowledge that there's such great benefit there for our patients
2: thank you we enjoy working with our patients
1: yes well any any final thoughts or final pieces of advice for our listeners
2: i think you know if you have questions talk talk to your doctor about about your pain and they can certainly refer you on if they feel like it's something that could benefit from you for you um And even if it's coming in to learn a few things, we've started to see patients that are coming in and they're like, well, I've been starting to do these exercises and I want to make sure that I'm doing them right. And so it may just be a few sessions worth of PT in order to help prevent some of those other things as well. So certainly don't be shy to to come in and ask us questions um, we love questions um, and we uh, talk typically throughout the whole session while you're here about different things so you can certainly pick our brains yeah
1: a great a great resource for sure so well thank you so much for your time and for joining us today lindsay we really appreciate it
2: thank you thanks for having me
0: so lindsay do we have a health pro for today we do. It's along the lines of continuing our um, push to get your COVID vaccine. I had a fun conversation the other day in the clinic with a patient of mine who said the way she's she's in her um, 60s. And she said, you know how I convince these younger people I work with to get their vaccine? I ask them if they have a smallpox scar. And when they say no, I say exactly because I got the vaccine and now smallpox doesn't exist. So I thought that was a a good way to get people to understand what can happen, the power of vaccines, I guess.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, it's it's hard to see right now that, you know, whether or not vaccines could make COVID go away, it's hard to see that right now. But certainly getting vaccines is going to help us move forward through the pandemic and get beyond where we're at right now. So, you know, there may be rare exceptions, but I think for most people, it would be a really great idea to get a vaccine if you haven't already. Yeah, we want to get back to normal life. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Anything else
0: you want to add, Lindsay? I don't have anything else. Just remember to, to look us up on your... Um, remember to listen to us on any podcast platform.
1: Yeah, and if you have any questions or want to view the show notes from today's episode, you can find that at everythingdoc.com. Um, if you have questions, follow-up questions, or questions about other topics, email us. We're at mail at Or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Bye-bye.